I love that song so much. Uh, hi, everybody. It's good to see you. If you are at one of our physical campuses right now, then you just heard one of my favorite songs in the world. It was a song that came out when I was in high school, so this will date me a little bit, back in 2001 by John Mayer. Uh, if you haven't heard of this or you were streaming or you're just podcasting, so you're not quite sure what we just listened to, look up My Stupid Mouth on Spotify. You're going to love it, but I love this back and forth that he does with our words. I mean, even that opening line where he says, my stupid mouth has got me in trouble again. And what's so great about that is he doesn't even tell us what got him in trouble. So you and I can insert what it is that maybe we've gotten in trouble with before in our life. And then that thought process that he goes through is just so relatable to me. It's like that's how I've gone through it, where it's like, I know, I know, mama said, think before speaking. It's like, why did I, why did I do this again? I can't believe I said that. And then that vow that he makes, you know, I am, okay, I am never speaking up again. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm just getting out of this whole game. And then I, my favorite part is that part where he comes back in and says, hey, just one more thing. You know, it's like, hey, my voice matters too. Like, I've got, I've got something to say. I'm just trying to be liked. I'm just trying to be funny. And what I love about that song is it illustrates a tension that I think we all have this, uh, with words. And kind of this back and forth, love-hate, kind of inner battle relationship that we have with, with how we talk and things that get us in trouble. It's like, I bet for all of us, you don't have to think back all that far uh, to a time where maybe you said, uh, I can't believe I just said that. Maybe it was my stupid mouth, or it could have been my stupid text, or my stupid post, or my stupid joke, but whatever it is, you probably don't have to go back too far to think about that. And yet I know if you're like me, that the next thing that pops in your head is like, hey, I am, I'm trying here, you know, like, why is it always like my fault? Like, I'm just trying to speak my point of view too, and, and man, my words matter as well. That's the tricky part that we have when it comes to navigating our words. That some of my biggest regrets in life have come as a result of something I have said that I wish I hadn't. And some of my biggest regrets in my life have also come from not saying something that I should have said in the moment or to somebody. And so today what I want to talk about is how do we navigate that tension well uh, to where we live with less regret with how we use our words, but maybe a little bit more than just less regret, how do we use what God has given each of us, that he has empowered each of us with our voice and the ability to communicate and to speak, and how do we refine our words in such a way that is for maximum empowerment, maximum life-giving potential? And the great news is, is the book of Proverbs is going to help us out a ton. We are in this series on the book of Proverbs, and this book has more to say about our words and speaking to one another than almost any other subject uh, that it talks about. Uh, more than things about life or about family or about work or relationships or even sex or money. Um, it has way more to say about that than pretty much any other subject. And the book counsels us on how to speak over 90 different times that are in there. And this is significant uh, because of how the book of Proverbs works. Um, and for us to get what God wants us to learn from the book, we need to understand how the book of Proverbs is set up. Um, I think most of us, when we think of the book of Proverbs, we think of these short, kind of clever sayings that uh, counsel us on how to live wisely. And those do make up a majority of the book, but those don't start all the way till chapter 10 in Proverbs. 
chapters 1 through 9 are a lot different. They're actually these long speeches and songs. <laughs> There's a lot of song and singing and lots of long things that are going on there that are talking about the nature of God's wisdom. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 8, this is Lady Wisdom singing a song. I won't sing it for you. I don't have Dane's voice or John Mayer's voice. But this is Lady Wisdom who is basically God's wisdom personified. And this is what she sings uh, to us. She says, The Lord formed me from the beginning, before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past, at the very first, before the earth began, I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above and when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set limits on the seas so that they would not spread beyond their boundaries. And when he marked off the earth's foundation, I was the architect at his side. What this is saying, what Lady Wisdom is letting us know, is that as God was building the world, wisdom is the blueprint. And that woven throughout the entire world is his wisdom. That ingrained throughout the entire universe is this moral order. That where God is bringing order to chaos and his goodness and his justice and his integrity and his kindness is shaped all the way throughout the way that the whole world was actually brought uh, together. From the very beginning of things and even how God brings order to chaos today. And that's significant for us. Uh, one, I think most of us, whether, whatever your background is with God and whether you're a Jesus follower or you're just kind of checking out faith, I think uh, most of us have this inner sense inside of us that there is a, a deep ought to, the way that the world should work. And what Proverbs is saying is, you're exactly right. And that whatever you sense and those justice causes that cause your soul to stir are there because God ingrained them in the way that the world works. And so as we read these Proverbs, those short little sayings that come later on in there, those are little glimpses for us into the blueprint so that we could see some of the patterns and the principles, the cause and effect things that God worked into uh, the world. Um, And as we look at that, as we look at those different patterns and principles, it actually uh, requires us to think not just of what we know, but also what we do with that knowledge. Uh, The Hebrew word, the the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. Can you say that with me? Chokmah. Now, you're not saying it with enough spit. If you don't need to reach for your coffee cup afterwards, then you're not saying it right. So, one more time. Chokmah. That was good. I I felt it. I could feel the spit coming straight up here. That was great. Um, Chokmah is an interesting word because, you know, when you and I think of wisdom... I think we often think of a philosopher or somebody that's kind of around a lot of dusty old books and and kind of sitting there, maybe has a long beard or just kind of thinking about a lot of things. But chokmah is a lot different. Uh, The first place that it kind of shows up or one of the places it shows up in the Old Testament is in Exodus chapter 31. And in that chapter, uh, what happens is God chooses different people uh, to build the Ark of the Covenant. And who, where he's, what he's looking for are people with chokmah. Uh, people not just with head knowledge, but actually with skill and artistry and craftsmanship. Those are the people that he looks for uh, to do this. Solomon would have had a similar thing as well. 
Solomon uh, was the one that wrote the Proverbs. And so as he was uh, putting these together, uh, imagine that he's also in charge at that moment of how the temple was being built. That's what God had empowered him to do and kind of set him on this task. And so he would have chosen different people with Hokmah. Uh, with stonemasons who would take the raw materials uh, that were in front of them and had the skill to chisel out those materials to the blueprint, to the design that had been set before them. And so as you and I think about what God is calling us to do with wisdom, it is way bigger than just head knowledge. It actually has to do with skill and ability. That it is the skill of being able to take these patterns that we see all around us Uh, These narratives of justice and peace and goodness and actually shaping our lives to that blueprint in a skillful way. And so think about that in terms of how am I a craftsperson based on this wisdom that God's put out there. And the book of Proverbs lets us know that a key part of that crafting our lives to God's chokmah is the way that we speak. In fact, it talks about it not just a lot about how much, uh, how much, uh, how, how much the book of Proverbs talks about uh, words, but it's also the way that it talks about our words, too. Uh, look at this in uh, Proverbs t- uh, 20, uh, sorry, oh, so let's see, in Proverbs 18:21, and this is what it says. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will bring, will reap the consequences. Or Proverbs 12:18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Words have a lot of power. Uh, they, uh, they have a lot of power for good, but they also have a lot of power uh, for hurt and for pain. Um, can you think of a time where a reckless word really hits you in a, in a pretty powerful way? Uh, maybe in a way that uh, lasted a lot longer than, than you were anticipating or the ramifications were a lot heavier uh, than you expected. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we went on vacation. Uh, to, uh, we went down to kind of a, a mid-Texas area, and we're staying in an Airbnb. And so at that Airbnb, I was outside grilling in the backyard, and all of a sudden, as I was grilling, I heard this violent buzzing in the sound of uh, the side of my ear, and a sharp pain from this guy. Um, it had been a long time since I had been stung by a wasp, like a really, really long time. Uh, and yet, um, I, I've forgotten so much about just how, uh, how, how awful it really was. In fact, there was a lot of unpastoral words that were offered at that point. Um, there are no more witnesses to be able to attest to that because uh, I made sure he was gone <laughs> after that part. Um, what was interesting to me about that was uh, a couple of things. First, the immediate reaction that happened was really bad. I mean, my hand swelled up uh, big time. Um, and also there was kind of this radiating pain that went throughout uh, my hand. I was like, I immediately got to get this into water. Like, I just got to get it into water. But I think what surprised me the most was how long it lingered afterwards and how exactly it lingered too. Um, that uh, for a week or so after, I could still feel soreness all up and down uh, the arm. Uh, in fact, I kind of still think I feel it today, though maybe I'm just being dramatic. Uh, my wife says I was very brave, which I'm really holding strong to on that. Thank you, Amy. But words can be like that too, can't they? Where an immediate reaction happens in our 
like someone says something to us and, and maybe we immediately get angry or we immediately feel the shock or the rage or whatever it is. And yet it can last for a long time. Maybe even the effects of it never really fully go away. I mean, isn't it crazy that something that only takes a few seconds to happen can have that big of an effect on us? But the opposite is true, too. In fact, I liked how Proverbs uh, twelve eighteen said it, where it says, you know, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Um, Proverbs sixteen twenty four says it this way, and I, I really like how it worded this, too. It says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I mean, isn't that just a great image? Have you ever had someone's words speak to you that you would say, man, those were healing to the bones? Like there was nothing else that could have solved that problem or nothing else that could have made me feel that way quite like those words did in that moment. That's the power of words. In fact, as I hear that passage, uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is my dad. Uh, When I was a kid, I would often have trouble sleeping a lot of times. I'd go to bed at night, and I would replay conversations and interactions throughout the day, kind of overanalyzing and thinking a little bit too much about, you know, did I say the right thing? Did I not say the right thing? Just feeling that anxiety. In fact, I still kind of have a bit of that uh, today. And yet at that time, I remember I have all these memories of where I would have trouble sleeping and about an hour after bedtime, I would go out and see my dad at the kitchen table and he was reading or doing something like that. And I would go up to him and and kind of sheepishly, and he he could just tell immediately that there was something like I was just having this burden uh, uh, in my soul. So he would talk to me. I mean, he'd often, you know, he'd reaffirm his love for me. He'd, you know, he'd give me some kind of maybe a next step or two. I, I honestly don't remember a ton about what exactly he said in that moment. But I know that whatever he would say, um, it would soothe me to the point where I could sleep. And it would get me to the place where it's like, okay, I actually, like, I've gotten that off of my chest. And it's healing to the bones. Have you ever experienced something quite like that? As somebody that's like that has mastered the skill of speaking, the chukmah, of speaking, which is what the Proverbs really are about. The Proverbs are not as much uh, these uh, rules and things to live. It, it's more of patterns and, and people that can see those patterns and can shape their lives and actually have the skill to harness the conditions uh, to make them very refreshing, particularly with their words. And in fact, think about it this way. The, the, the verse we just read talks about how uh, words can be like honeycomb. Now, I, uh, I don't know about you. I don't eat a lot of honeycomb. I do drink a lot of soda. Um, I hate to brag, but I'm kind of a soda expert. In fact, you probably shouldn't brag about that. That's probably not a great thing to do. But I'm kind of a Coca-Cola expert in particular. Um, in fact, this is kind of free knowledge. I mean, I, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. But uh, there's, uh, you know, as your expert and with it being a summertime, I wanted to tell you that there's actually a hierarchy to Coke. Um, and I, this applies whether I'm not talking about whether it's Coke Zero or, you know, Diet Coke or whatever. I, you know, all this applies to all of that. I'm, I'm a purist. I like the regular, you know, full throttle kind of stuff. But whatever it is, there's actually a hierarchy in the delivery mechanism of the Coke. Have you have you recognized this? So at the bottom of the food chain is the two liter bottle. Like, way at the bottom. And the reason is, is because every time you open up, uh, you know, the fridge and you see a two-liter bottle in there, that's kind of like a game of roulette, right? You're like, is this going to be fresh or is this going to be flat? 
And more likely than not, I have a flat Coke that's in my future. So that's just way at the bottom there. Two liter soda, eh, not so much. Next up is the plastic bottle, like your own personal plastic bottle. It's not too bad. It's not great for the environment, so that's a problem already. But on top of that, I've always felt like those taste a little plasticky, you know? And so for me, the ideal one, I I know it looked like I brought my lunch up here uh, today. Um, If you want a sandwich, I've got this too. But uh, no, actually, the one for me, this was chilling in ice, is a cold can of Coke. Now, some of you may even want to say, hey, we want to pour this over a nice little bit of ice. That's fine. Others of you are saying, hey, you know what? Actually, at the top is a glass bottle. But here's the thing. I never drink glass bottles. That's very VIP. I'm kind of a basic sort of guy. So, hey, you know, this is, this is tops for me. Why do I talk about all this? Because um, there's a reason. Um, when it come, like Coke, when it comes to our words, we could take the same basic ingredients but have a completely different way of harnessing them in different conditions that can make them all the more refreshing, all the more sweet. It's kind of like my dad had had this ability when he would talk to me to make it sound like like this. That he had figured out those conditions, that skill of speaking, that, that were little things or, or maybe things that were kind of intangible things that helped him with that skill that made it more refreshing than other people, whether it was his tone or his timing, um, any number of factors. And, and, and that's really what we're talking about here, too, when we talk about words and wisdom and what God is giving us the opportunity to do as we develop this skill. Is that each and every day, you and I have the power to be really refreshing with our words, to be life-giving with how we speak. And in fact, it doesn't actually cost that much. It's like God has given each of us this breath, this perspective, and this voice that we are to use. And that is a good thing, that he has empowered you to be able to use your voice to lift others up, to speak life into people. And yet, on the other hand... We also have the potential and the challenge of being incredibly damaging with our words, too. Now, I don't know one person in this room today who's watching who would say, I choose to be damaging with my words. Uh, there's, there's no one that's like, yes, I just can't wait to do that. But that's not what the Proverbs are about. The Proverbs aren't about head knowledge. In fact, none of the things that we've talked about so far are probably all that new to you. It's kind of like John Mayer saying. It's like, Mama said, think before speaking. I get it. My words have power. Words matter. We get it up here. But that's not what Proverbs is concerned about. Proverbs is concerned about chokmah. It's concerned about our skill, our ability as craftspeople to mold our words in such a way that they would be refreshing to other people. In fact, if I had a main point uh, for tonight, it would be this. That our words matter more than we often know, which means it is worth doing the hard work to refine the skill of speaking so that we can be less reckless and more refreshing each and every day. That speaking is a skill. And like every skill, it takes refinement and kind of constant attention. That it's easy for us to lose muscle memory pretty quickly um, without thinking about it too much. Like, hey, sometimes we just kind of lose the ability. Maybe we had it at one point, we lost it. And like every other skill, too, it requires good feedback from people. It's kind of like I can think that I am a master chef, but the proof is in the pudding, like literally in the taste of the pudding. Do other people think the pudding tastes good? 
And the same is true for you and me as we think about our skill in refining how we use our words for God's purposes in the world. Maybe a good space to start is to say, can I get some feedback from somebody in my life? I have a dangerous question for you. Um, This is sure to start an argument on your way home. So I'm just giving you a warning about that. But here's the question that I want you to consider asking somebody that you interact with on a regular basis. And here it is. In what ways have you seen me be reckless with my words? Now, that takes some chokmah and some other things, too, probably. But that takes some chokmah to be able to have that conversation. But it's so important. In fact, it could be a game changer for the way that you are interacting with people. I mean, I know for me, I have have been so devastated at times when I found out that a word that I said to somebody caused them a lot of distress where maybe they couldn't even sleep for a little bit or uh, that they were just really brought up an insecurity or just did something to them like I, I and the only way I've found out about that in different times in my life is because somebody had the courage to share that somebody actually could say you know what when you said this you may not have known this you may not have been able to hear it but when you said this this actually hit me here um, and I need you to know that so that you can be better and I think for all of us, that's the, isn't that the goal? Like, I, I know I don't want to cause that kind of pain in other people's lives. And so it can be a game changer to ask that question, but it does take a lot of chokmah to be able to do it. But as you think about the feedback and as we think about refining the skill of words in our lives, um, I do have some different ways for us to maybe think about how to get started. Uh, ways that we could refine them together that I think would make all the difference in the world. Um, here's a couple for you. And again, all of us are different places, so some of these may hit differently uh, for different ones of us. First one is the skill of pausing. The skill of pausing. Uh, in his bestseller, uh, Stephen Covey wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the concepts that's in that book is how effective people have learned the power of the pause. The power of the pause is basically where they are able to stop when something happens to them before they immediately react. Now, for my science-minded friends out there, uh, you might appreciate this, uh, this description. There's basically when a stimulus happens, uh, that there is a gap between the stimulus and the reaction to it. There's a gap in the middle of that. That is the power of the pause. And it's in that gap that we're actually able to insert um, and have the choice to insert our response to it. We can put our values in there. We can put our thought process or questions in there, whatever. And the larger that that gap is, the better our response will typically be. And the better our words will typically be as well. Now, that's easy to say, but really, really hard to actually do. Uh, In fact, there's been a lot of research that's shown that when we're in the middle of a tense situation, we're often at our worst. Uh, A book that I really love, in fact, if you're looking to refine your skill of speaking, this would be an amazing book to look at, is Crucial Conversations. Um, I love the tagline of it is, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. Basically, they define a crucial conversation as when uh, there are opposing opinions, high stakes, and strong emotions. Have you ever had any of those? And what they've found in crucial conversations is that we don't do very well when a conversation turns crucial. Basically, we make bad assumptions about people. We misjudge motives about them. We assign bad feelings. We we let our feelings deceive us in that space. And what they counsel 
people to do, and if you read the book, you'd find out a little bit more about this, is they counsel people to just be able to take a pause and actually say, I am entering into a crucial conversation here, which means I need to have my uh, alert up and kind of distrust my own feelings here and actually pause for a moment and actually get above this conversation to be able to see if I'm interacting well in that moment. And so I'd recommend that as a step. But one thing that we could do today, in fact, I want to have a little bit of fun with this for a moment, is I'm going to ask you to play along with me. uh, Because um, sometimes we just need to train ourselves to do a pause when the moment's in the half. So I'm going to ask you to clench your teeth, like clench your teeth right now. And then through clenched teeth, I want you to say words matter, like words matter. Okay, go for it. Okay, do it angrier, like angrier, please. Like, words matter. Yeah, Dan, you got, that, that was scary to me. Thank you. I'm sweating up here. Need a little Coke. Um, also do it maybe now with your fist clenched, too, because sometimes it's when our teeth are clenched that we really need to know that. But do it with your fist clenched, too. Words matter. Go ahead. Do it. Play along with me. See, you guys are so good. That's right. The reason why I'm doing that is there's going to be a moment, I, I, I'm willing to bet, like a moment in this week even, where you're going to, like your teeth are going to be clenched, and you're about to say something, and I want you in that moment to remember, words matter. It's like, because it's in that moment where just even a phrase can cause us to pause and to choose how we want to respond. Or when we clench our fists, the reason why I had you do that is sometimes when we're thinking about posting or putting that thing out in a text, Just to remember, words matter. And that's not just true when it comes to our tense situations. In fact, I think it applies to a different space, too, that the Proverbs actually speaks into. And that is our jokes and our sarcasm. Um, I know, uh, like, I'm somebody that when I have a funny thought that pops into my head, it's like I feel like I just need to share it. Like, it's my gift to the world. Like, hey, here it is. You know, this is like I need to get this out to you. And yet I have seen so much collateral damage come from a misplaced joke, a reckless joke. And the Proverbs do talk about this. This is one of my favorite Proverbs. Um, It says in 26, 18, and 19, like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows. I mean, just have that picture in your head of this kind of a guy that doesn't know what he's doing. He's kind of all over the place, and he just has a bow and arrow that's lit. And that's, that's what they say as... As that person is, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. There are so many reasons why we tell jokes, and that's worth digging into at times. Like sometimes we tell jokes just because we do want to be funny. We're getting our point of view out there. But sometimes it's, there's some, something ulterior going on. There's something in our heart that's worth digging into. I mean, like this proverb says, sometimes we do it to maybe deflect or deceive. But other times we do it to maybe, uh, you know, cover up insecurities or, or past pain or whatever it is. And, and all, all I think the proverbs are saying is people with hulkma, people with skill, have learned the ability to pause before they just let it fly particularly their jokes, particularly around the people that we care about. Uh, Skill number two is the skill of personalization. Skill of personalization. Ephesians 4.29 says it this way, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, The key ingredients there is that we are to frame our speech. A skillful person is able to frame and tailor their speech around the particular people in their lives, to build them up according to their needs. Which means, as 
skillful people with our words, it's our job to understand the needs of the people in our lives. Like, what is it that they need to hear? How are they hearing me in such a way that is either helpful or not helpful to them? And that I need to personalize that uh, for them. Um, I've actually been surprised. I mean, we have three young children, uh, seven, six, and two and a half. Pray for us, please. And what I've been surprised with is how different each of those three kids are, even though they came from the same two people. It's like, how is this possible that their personalities and they're, that they're not even like blends of us at times. Sometimes it's like just completely different from my wife and I. So Amy and I were greatly helped by a resource that some of you guys have gone through. It's the best title I've ever heard of, too. It's I Said This, You Heard That. Um, I love that title. And, and this, this resource helped us actually have some categories of how uh, people um, are wired and, and how we speak, but also how we receive communication that comes in. And so skillful people... Uh, have an ability to do those things that are in there say okay what is what is the different temperaments and personalities and giftings and and ways that god has wired uh, those that are in my lives so i can tailor it around them so whether you read that book or just think about the people and saying listing out the different ways that they are and how can i speak into them that would build up to their needs skill of personalization is a big one last one i'll mention and um as a good pastor from pastor school i always feel the need for everything to start with the same letter so this is me overusing that letter the skill of purposefully using particular phrases you like that that's enough p's for you skill of purposefully using particular phrases basically what i'm trying to communicate here is that um, people with hokma when it comes to their words have a go-to bag of different phrases that we often can't seem to say enough but for some reason we forget to say um, let me give you some examples of some of those phrases. Um, there's lots of them, but there's a few, and, and you could probably guess what they are. The first one would be like, I love you. I, I love you is one where, again, it feels like, um, man, we probably say that, or man, they know. Of course they know I love them. And yet, what I've been troubled by, um, and I know many friends in my life who have communicated this to me, that have said that they never heard like their dad say the words, I love you. Or people that have been married a long time and, and there's just assumption, like, of course she knows. Or of course he knows that I love them, and yet they haven't heard that. And the, the pain that comes from not hearing that phrase can be pretty, pretty big and pretty heavy. In fact, we know that words are weighted differently. Like in your life, you've got people that have different weights of words, whether it's a parent or somebody, a mentor that you look up to or whatever it is. For some reason, I don't totally know why this is, but dads, you and I, like our words carry a lot of weight with our kids. And so for us to be mindful and purposeful about saying the phrase like, I love you, is something that skillful people just say you know what if i think i'm saying it enough i probably need to double the amount that i'm saying it just to make sure it's out there another phrase that i think is 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 great is help me understand that's a powerful phrase as well particularly in a culture where there's a, so much polarization and people kind of going to their corners the ability to be able to say help me understand your point of view help me understand this subject i, I it, it's a posture of openness a posture that's like, man, you know what? Like, I don't know, and I need to know, and, and I, I'd love to learn more. I think in our culture today, we could use so much more of help me understand. Um, the last one I'll say is, I'm sorry. And again, there's other phrases that are out there too, but I'm sorry. Um, for many of us, a 
relationship in our life would be radically revolutionized if we said, I'm sorry. And, and the reason why I know that is because there's probably a relationship in our life, in your life, where if that person said, I'm sorry to us, it would radically change that relationship too. And the, the interesting thing about I'm sorry is that there, we come up with so many reasons why we don't want to say it. You know, we, you know, it's like, well, they should go first or, you know, like it's just uh, that just feels too, too heavy. And yet when you actually boil it down, the phrase costs us very, very little except uh, some pride. And like our friend Cindy said a couple of weeks ago, wise people have a posture of humility, too. And so I would just ask you, like, is there somebody that you can lead out with the skill of Hulkmah by saying, I'm sorry? Oftentimes, like I've found when it comes to connection in our relationships, um, we try to do all these different things, you know, buy expensive gifts or, or create great experiences. When, when in reality, the thing that would help us connect the most, the, the way that would help us love the most is something that needs to be said, not bought. And so uh, this week... As you're thinking through where you're at, again, we're all at different places with this skill. But as a skill, all of us need to refine our words. Like that's a work in progress. I'd ask you to identify what would be one way to do it. Again, maybe it's asking somebody in your life. Now, whether or not you are a Christ follower or not, um, this is just good advice, to be honest. Um, This is stuff that I, I think as you... As you follow and mold your your life and chisel it out to the pattern of these Proverbs that we read, like good things, I just think that that will bring you in the flow of God's goodness the way that he designed the world to do. But for those of us who are Christ followers, what we've talked about here isn't optional. Like this is what God has commanded us to do as we follow him. That as Jesus came into this world, like he came into this world to show a radical, revolutionary, self-sacrificing kind of love. Where he spoke life in purposeful ways. He was never domineering. He was never demeaning. Uh, he was uplifting. And his words changed the world and the trajectory of it. That's why we're here today. That's why there are communities all throughout our world. Uh, is that they have been changed and shaped by the words and deeds and actions of Jesus Christ. Which is why we follow him. And for us to follow him means that we are to act like he did, to, to love like he did. And the way that we love is definitely connected to the way that we say our words. Like, this isn't an optional way for us to do it. In fact, I think Christ followers need to be the people that are leading out the most when it comes to this area. That we would be the first to say, you know what, this skill needs a little work. And you know what, this skill is worth doing the hard work in it because it is the stuff that Jesus has called me to do to reflect his voice to a broken world. And so as we leave this space today, I encourage you, like, think of and ask God, God, help me, help me tune my voice to yours and help my voice reflect you and your love. One conversation, one phrase and one word at a time. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the chance um, that we have to speak, uh, to communicate, however that looks like for us. That you've given each of us a voice, and that voice is, uh, is important. It is something that reflects how you uh, have put your image on each of us. So, Father, help us have the skill 
of refining our voice, of tuning it to you. And Father, as we're in this space, we just pray that you would give us wisdom and courage and feedback and all those things so that we could share your love, share your words of life to a needy world. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.